Hello and welcome to the Fertility Podcast, episode 91. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host, and this podcast is for you if you found that your route to parenthood basically is proving a bit tricky. I've put together a whole host of episodes speaking to fertility experts, people like yourself and me who are going through treatment or have been through treatment and just wanted to find out a bit more. And the idea is that this is a trustworthy place. I really hope that you find a real mixture of content available to listen to and that it's helpful. And if there's a gaping hole in something that you know, you're know you wanting to find out more about, just email me. I'll give you all my details at the end. We're going to be speaking to a lady that I met on Twitter who is anonymous. She's going by her Twitter handle about her journey that she's currently on, which I hope you will agree is useful to know how someone is coping as they're going through it. She has literally had a treatment the day that we spoke, which you'll hear more on. And I will be speaking to her hopefully uh, again soon to find out how how it's all gone so have a listen i'm going to welcome a lady who i found just recently started tweeting as at fertility soul with the name eva bravehearts but that's not her name and if you've listened to my podcast from the start you'll know that i started off with the podcast as an anonymous host i then chose to be me once my son was one so we all have our reasons and i'm now going to welcome Eva, as we will call her for the podcast, to explain a bit more about her journey and her reasons for calling herself what she does. And uh, we'll find out where she's at. So Eva, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on. It's lovely to have you. And we were just chatting about how I was going to refer to you and, and your reasons why. And I asked you to stop because I want you to just tell me again what you were saying is the reasons why you're not you on social media, because I think it's really interesting in regards to your fertility journey. Yeah, so I'm, it's funny. Um, so I'm actually based out of Toronto. I'm happy to say that. Um, and Canada. Um, and I started writing about my fertility journey, which has been three years, but I've blogged about it really since just really December. Um, and I chose to use the, the name Eva Braveheart because I am... Uh, currently work looking for a new employment and um, in Canada or in Toronto I've had some friends who have uh, tried to find work and if they've listed anything or somebody found out anything about the fact that they're you know doing fertility treatments that person is still seen as a as a risk right even though i'm like absolutely totally 100% open with anyone personally or outside like i write this blog like everybody knows that i do it so i'm sure it'll leak in some way but i don't feel comfortable an employer who will google me right if they want to offer me a job or a position to have me show up as my actual name with x amount of you know, all these fertility things underneath it is I will still be seen as I will be seen as a risk. I'll be seen as a flight risk. I'll be seen as financial burden, potentially. And I really don't want that against me in any particular way, whether it's real or not. It's let's just take that away. And as soon as I as soon as I've secured that position in, um, in, a, in my own city, which is a whole nother story, uh, and not drive an hour and a half away from where I, I live, 
then I feel, I think I'll, I'll come out. I'll, I'm going to put it that way. I'll have okay. my coming out ceremony. I've, I've been there. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I thank you so much for, for raising that because every time I speak to somebody with the Fertility Podcast, a whole new angle on something that I'm constantly learning with the Fertility Podcast is how it affects us all in so many different ways. And, and everybody sharing their experiences is what this podcast is all about. So thank you for that. And um, I mean, there's a lot for us to talk about from just what you've said, but your blog is very, um, I would say, outspoken. Um, you you seem to cut through the nonsense, and I commend you for that because I, I speak to all sorts of people that write blogs, and and it's cathartic for some. It's it's a kind of real kind of way to you know just get them through. For others, you you explain in your about section what what the blog is, and and you're achingly honest in it with your different posts. And I want to just start because I know today's been a pretty significant day and I want to get to that in a, in a moment but I want to just start you mentioned three years that you've been trying to start you've been trying to start your family when when was the moment that you realized it wasn't going to be straightforward was it through yourself or were you sat in front of a consultant being told it I think last the journey has been I say three years but the but the but the first two years were kind of like uh, where, oh, you know, I'll go to the clinic, I'll go a little bit, and then I'll go try myself. And then there wasn't any kind of commitment. And in my head, I, in my head, I didn't need them. And they were, and it was still something that somebody else did. And I didn't really, I really didn't take them on. I didn't take on the clinic I just, as that's something that I need help with. And really, last year in around April, I think I sat in my car and on my way from my current position or current job, I realized, you know what, I think I actually need help. <laughs> I think I can't do this on my own. I'm going to give this my best shot. And that's when it really, really came through, when I had to start applying for accommodations at work when I started applying and having to sit, this is the worst part, having to sit in front of your H, in front of your manager, in front of HR and the union, explaining to them why just because the doctor said that Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, you'll have to go to the clinic, which is in reality a beautiful situation, that my body, because of infertility because of the treatments doesn't work that way and I even though I have these accommodations in place um, I need more flexibility and so that was really once I started applying for the accommodations once I had that conversation um, it really started rolling um, from there and the full full commitment really started happening as of August really last year when my my partner and my husband and I we fully were like, okay, we're going to give this our best shot and not just diddly dally with it and just kind of, you know, float in, flow out. We're just fully going to commit and see, see what happens and surrender to the process. So just backtrack a little bit. Were you given a diagnosis or are we talking about unexplained infertility as the reason that you need infertility treatment? Uh, I was given a diagnosis PCOS. Right. In my head is almost, I'm like, okay, maybe PCOS. <laughs> I kind of still think it's a blanket blanket diagnosis that they give to women. 
Um, I've had really good chats with my doctor about it. And she's like, yeah, you know, you have symptoms of PCOS, but you're perfectly healthy and there's nothing wrong with you. You have, you are the skinny version of PCOS. I went to the naturopath and they're like, well, we are not quite sure. You might have insulin resistance. So in my head, I'm like, nah. PCOS ain't got me. Because... You see, because I'm I'm learning about PCOS um, and have just released an episode on PCOS. And, and one of the things that I've learned more about is how relevant it is to your cycle and whether you're ovulating or not. I mean, have they been conversations that you've been having monitoring your ovulation? It's not about the PCOS itself. I think it's about taking ownership over the fact and saying and owning the fact that I need help. I am infertile. I have fertility challenges and it may look like the fact that I need help with my figuring out what my ovulation cycles it may look like because PCOS is such a big scope like it's really massive mm. I had a really hard time accepting PCOS and not that I don't accept PCOS because I see some influences around it about the dairy issue around the ovulation I see that but I have to own all of that. It's my responsibility to own the fact that I have fertility challenges, that I own the fact that I need help. And that's the hardest part, I think, for me was when I said that I need help. Because for me, I'm the independent Twitter bug that I can do anything on my own, and I don't need anybody's help. And to surrender to the process where I actually really need somebody's help and still move forward and take ownership over that, that was where a big learning curve really happened. So I'm grateful for my infertility, 100% at this point. I've learned, I've learned so much about myself. It's been a fascinating journey, fascinating and still is till this point. Well, you wrote a really like wonderful line where you said we need the tools that no one has taught us to cope with the constant grieving and uncertainty. And I actually did an interview with somebody the other day who said if only couples that were dealing with infertility could be told that the outcome was going to be okay, you know, that you're going to get your baby, then the whole process would be so much easier to deal with because the uncertainty is so consuming. And I talk with people often, I'm fortunate enough to get to talk to lots of people about how this affects them. And, and everybody talks about the overwhelm. It is so overwhelming the unknown and like you say nobody has taught us how to deal with this and I, I I really take my hat off to you for the support groups that you've got really heavily involved with and I, and I want to talk more about that with you because I'm always really keen to know the support that people have reached out for when they're on this fertility journey whether it's face-to-face -face or whether it's online you talk about the the good and the bad support groups and how you're very critical of the ones that allow patients to stay in suffering mode now this struck a chord with me because when I was on my fertility journey my best friend that had been through her own treatment said to me don't look at any of the blogs because they're negative and I didn't and at that point I hadn't spoken to half the amount of people I've now spoken to and I didn't know nearly as much as I know now about what's out there good and bad you make it very clear about how you have this tolerance for bullshit <laughs> and and how you've you've been involved in different groups just Talk to me a bit about your experience of infertility support groups. So the first one I attended was with my clinic and I went and I went out of curiosity because I wanted to meet other patients in the in the clinic who are going through similar processes, you know, just to, to really and to really learn. I'm all about really 
for me, it is constant personal development, constant learning, constantly, all the time. I always say that the moment we stop learning, we can might as well die. So to me, it's always about learning more about myself and how I can move forward, which is the theme of this year. So that support group was, oh, tell me how you're feeling. Oh, okay. Like it was this, this, this moment of where, you know, people were in pain and the facilitator just was like, okay, you know, you can be in like, be in that suffering mode. There wasn't any branch. I can, I can only see it as like, there wasn't any olive branch or, 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 tools given to help that person move forward. Yes, be in your suffering. I've been there of complete pain of this is like complete, sorry, complete shit. This sucks. But what is beyond what's we need to be in the darkness to have the light be in the light as well and know that there's light on the other tunnel. Are you mindful of your thoughts? So there was none of that in there. And when I left feeling at the end of that support group, which I attended once or twice, because at the second time I was, I felt completely drained and I just went home and I slept as I felt like I ended up helping the facilitator, giving people strategies about how to move forward. So one example was one person said, oh, I declare I'm no longer going to, and, I, and forgive me to anybody who, who is going through this, I declare I'll no longer go to any baby showers. At that moment, I was making a baby shower for a friend of mine because I knew her journey had nothing to do with me. It had to do with her. And my journey is separate from her completely. I can get attached to her story. I can be like, oh, woe is me. This is me. But I need to be able to move forward. So anyway, so this person said, I'm no longer going to be going to baby showers. Fine, not a problem. But then she says, but then what do I do? I have to walk into Toys R Us. She says, I can't go in because I start crying because I have to buy something for the baby. In my head, I'm like, well, if you can't do that, then go buy the parents a restaurant gift certificate. Go support the parent. Go get them like a food meal for their first month. Like think outside the box and get outside of yourself. That's, that was my takeaway from that. And I don't know whether I just see that naturally or I've just learned it, but it was just that woe is me and my little world and poor me. There's the word in women where I see I am devastated or I am suffering and because I don't have a child. There's no suffering. There's no, we create our own misery, right? Our thoughts, our own misery. And so when I went, I stopped going there and I went to my other support group, which was a six months mind body support group. I went there a bit cautiously thinking about like, how is it going to work? But the first day the facilitator said, okay, today's the day where we, we put out all our stories. It's a cry session. We can, we can, we can be in our grieving. Let's all be in our grieving and our pain and, and all this and all of that. Let's, let's, let's acknowledge our journeys. But from that moment on, what was given to us in terms of the support group and continues on with all the ladies that we still, we still meet once a month is yes, be in the grief, be in the pain. But in the very end, it's about supporting yourself and loving yourself and moving forward, whatever the journey may look like at the very end. And so that was 
that was what I walked away with from that group. And that was just beautiful because you could see the people changing their attitudes, being able to go from grief to happiness to grief and being able to deal with the grief. Well, you use words in some of your blog posts like empowering and courageous. And I think that that's the mindset that wherever you are, whether you're still going through treatment or maybe you've decided that you're going to live your life childless because the treatment hasn't worked or what have you, it is courageous and it is that whole mindset, which I think, you know, the way that you're conveying that is is really admirable. And I want to just talk about where you're at right now so people listening can really kind of understand because you've 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 had a you've had a treatment today, haven't you? Yes, I have. Today was a transfer number two trials. So frozen embryo transfer. Frozen embryo trials. Yeah, most of the clinics in Toronto, um, I would say the majority of them here now only do frozen embryo transfers. Um, that's how that's how I see like most. That's how the treatment is here. Just explain that to me. You've had how many rounds of IVF already? So I've done one round of IVF in December. And from that, you had frozen embryos. From there, we did uh, PGS, which is the genetic testing. So it tests the the embryos, which we had a lot of can hold. You can do a whole show on PGS, <laughs> Natalie. It's on my list. We'll speak again. We'll speak on your again. List. So we did uh, had a lot of questions about PGS, but decided for it. We also had government funding from thankfully from the Ontario government so we got four embryos um, tested all four of them two of them came back as something genetically some genetic issue and two of them came back a-okay so that was that so this is a second transfer from those two that you had from that cycle yeah from that cycle so you had one already that didn't take and you're having your second. And so you're saying that rather than going again for a fresh cycle, the way that it works in Toronto is that you should use up your frozen first. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? So the way it works is because I'm on a government, everyone here in, in Ontario is eligible for a uh, one-time round of IVF and transfer um, if you manage to get the funding. And how it works with the government funding is that you do with a one round of IVF, so for the retrieval, um, so that's paid for minus some of the drugs. And then you proceed, you can go and do another round if you want to pay for it. But nice. the, the second process of that is, um, regardless of how many embryos or eggs you, well, embryos at that time, um, were frozen, the government will pay for, let's say, your four transfers until they're all done. Wow. So because I'm on the, because I'm on the, yeah, because I'm on the, the government funding, I have to finish my full cycle before I go and, before I go and, I mean, I can go pay. But to me, that makes so much sense because there are so many cases and I'm one, we have frozen embryos and we have three and we're gearing up for the frozen embryo transfer and say it works, hopefully it works. And then there's the two left and we decide our family's complete, then what happens? And I know that there's numerous frozen embryos in storage in the UK because of the way the treatment works. So that makes so much more sense that you, on the one hand, that you do it, I suppose there's the argument of what the statistics are to the success of frozen embryos compared to fresh, but they are high in the UK and I'm assuming they're high in in Canada too. They used to be. And the way that the government runs it too is if you are on a government 
funded cycle, you are only allowed to transfer one embryo at a time. So again, the government of Ontario looked at all of the, I mean, I have a lot of, I've dug a lot into this, um, but the government essentially said, because of the risk in multiple pregnancies, and this is what was happening, right, two, three, or, or one, uh, one is great, but to reduce... Um, it's the risk yeah, of the women as well. We have the, the same in the, the UK. It's, yeah. the, it's the risk associated yeah. with multiple births. Okay, well, so this is a really exciting day, and um, I have everything crossed for you. And, and what, I, what I actually want to say is I want to hold it here because... You write so much and I want you to, I hope you're going to continue writing and I'd like us to actually speak again. Um, I mean, you've got, what, a two-week wait now to deal with. The dreaded two-week wait where you just realise how patient you can be. I'm sure, like me, you sound like you probably weren't that patient before you started on a fertility journey. Is that fair to say? Um, yes, I yeah. can I can definitely say that, but I can definitely say that um, now I'm patient, but I... <laughs> I have a lot of amazing coping tools that I've, I've learned. So it's fantastic. So I'm really excited. It was felt different this time. Don't want to get attached to that craving and aversion of that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's good. I think it's definitely good. And again, if it works amazing, if it doesn't, it's, it's, just to me it's my husband and I it's like I ate cereal I went to work and the embryo transfer didn't work it's just a fact and that's it there's nothing more or less to it and your husband I mean you sound like you're dealing with everything amazingly is he as tough a cookie as you are have you talked about is he having support yeah yeah he has support he definitely has support he's reached out to a co-workers he's very very open about it too he's met with people uh with some and so he's really really he's really supportive and um and he attends every I know apparently this is not normal he attends every single appointment every single cycle appointment everything he's been through all of it so I'd be interested to see whether you think that he has had the concerns from his workplace about the fact that he's going through fertility treatment as you have and that's another episode in itself (laughs) yeah no he he hasn't they've been very 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 supportive of anything he needs so um it's I think it's I think again that's another episode of of, of men um I'm sure he'd love to chat about that but it's it's been different for him for sure all right well look let's leave it there let's keep in touch and let's aim to speak again maybe in a month or so and wherever you're at we'll chat again and um and I think that will make a really interesting because I haven't I haven't spoken to somebody on their journey for quite a while I've normally spoke to people that have completed their journey I thank you for that for giving me your time and I wish you every bit of that embryo clinging onness as I can send over from England to Canada and um yeah you keep me posted and and I will put I'll put all the details in the show notes but I'd like the uh, completion of our chat to be us in a couple of weeks time if that's okay with you absolutely so the so you can everybody can sit on pins and needles july 20th would be the would be the um would be the test and then we'll see what happens from there and then you can uh check in from check in with me or you'll know you'll probably know i'll probably post it yeah for now thank you for your time and you have a lovely rest of day and i'm gonna go off and have my dinner (laughs) all right thanks you take care okay bye 
The Fertility Podcast is supported by OvuSense. If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, OvuSense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class 2 medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and it fits like a tampon so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. You use it at night whilst you sleep and then in the morning you simply remove, wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now OvuSense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit OvuSense.com. So the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash Ava. And if you'd like to get in touch with me about something you'd like me to cover, just email natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at fertilitypoddy. Facebook is just the Fertility Podcast. Do subscribe to this podcast because it really helps spread the word. You can do it in iTunes. You can also rate and review it if you like. Uh, it's also available in Stitcher, Spreaker, Acast, there's all sorts of different podcast platforms. Um, and it'd be awesome to just know whether you've got any feedback for me. So until the next time, take care.